parsha ha'azinu. And David said something in the service today that just got me thinking. He was talking about, he heard a teaching from a rabbi, and the rabbi had told him, because we're in the short little period between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, right, where um, perhaps if you come up against some testing, that um, that's God's way of asking you, you know, did you really mean it back there on Yom Kippur? And, that's, and I've heard David speak on that a lot. Like, if you're going through testing, well, you guys are righteous. Let me, I'll use me as an example. Let's say I'm going through some testing right now. Perhaps that's God's way of asking me, did I really mean it, you know? It should force me to do some introspection if I'm really becoming, if something's happening. I, I can't get mad at the stick, you know? The, uh, you can take a stick and you can poke a dog with a stick. After a while, the dog gets irritated, doesn't like it. It begins to bite the stick, right? But the stick isn't the source of the dog's irritation. It is the one who holds the stick is the source of the dog's irritation. So I guess if I'm finding myself, especially during this season, and maybe this works all the time, if I'm finding myself in this season of testing and I'm all irritated and I'm all angry, I always have to be sure to kind of step back and, and be sure I'm not getting mad at the stick because... Who is the one holding the stick? That could be Adonai, that could be God. And then I'd have to ask, well, why is God using the stick to poke me? Maybe it's for correction. Maybe I need to, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not going in the direction he wants. And it should force me back into some self-reflection, especially during this season. Those are just some random thoughts I was having. David set off a chain reaction in my mind. I just couldn't stop it. Parsha Hizenu. Especially, again, during this time, this time, uh, this season, of course, is when I would expect the return of Yeshua, given that the whole layout of all the uh, high holy days and the spring holidays just sort of seems to fit. And so even on Wednesday night Torah club, I was getting some questions about what do I think the kingdom looks like? And yeah, I tell you with that, you know, we all speculate what's it like on the other side, right, at, at his return, what does that you know, exactly entail. And this week's portion really just, uh, as I began to study it, it's all so connected because it's, there's, uh, the foundation of it is really right in the Song of Moses. You can see that in there. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the kingdom this morning and just kind of give you my two cents on that. Let's start in the Song of Moses. Devarim chapter 32, verse 1. Song of Moses is, uh, of course, something that he writes on the last day of his life as he's getting ready to be uh, brought home. And it's sort of a song. It's a long prophetic song is what it is. And it begins with um, Adonai telling us who he is. And then it talks about the history of the people, and then it goes into their rebellion, and then their punishment, and then ultimately restoration. Devarim 32, I'm just going to read the first few verses of this. Um, Devarim 32 verse 1 says, Hear, O heavens, as I speak, <clears throat> listen, earth, to the words from my mouth. May my teaching fall like rain, may my speech condense like dew, like light rain on blades of grass or showers on growing plants. For I will proclaim the name of Adonai, come, declare the greatness of our God, 
the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A trustworthy God who does no wrong, he is righteous and straight. He is not corrupt, the defect in his, in, in his children. The defect is in us. I like how, of course, it makes sense that Adonai establishes his nature up front, that he is uh, not corrupt. Then he reminds the people as you read along, he had kind of a history of um, how he um, chose them from among the nations and how they are and are his nation. They are the Lord's portion. Um, they are the apple of his eye, and they become very great. But they slip into rebellion, of course. And there is much written, many, many verses in this song about the Lord's wrath upon Israel and upon the nations that come against her. But like all prophecy, um, the Song of Moshe ends with hope. If you read, let's go down to what, where Juan had us. In verse 40, at the very end of the song, it says, uh, For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as surely as I am alive forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and set my hand to judgment, I will render vengeance to my foes, repay those who hate me, I will make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword will never, my sword will devour flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, flesh from the wild-haired heads of the enemy. Now there's this prophecy of vengeance here upon the enemies of Israel is recalled by all the prophets, the Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the, the pattern's all there. They're the people chosen by God, they're blessed, they rebel, and then there is uh, judgment, and then of course there's restoration, and the nations around them really get destroyed, the ones that come up against them. Uh, finishes with the last verse there, 43, seeing out you nations about his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and he will render vengeance to his adversaries, and make atonement for the land of his people. The, uh, the nations are actually commanded to sing out and rejoice. Or the other, the alternative is to come under his vengeance. So the nations have a couple choices there. So the image, after reading this, and if you go through the prophets, of course, you get the same pattern of this imagery of the nations had better sing out and rejoice along with the people. But there is Israel and there's the nations um, together. So it's kingdom imagery. I get that question. What is the kingdom? And if you Google it, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, sometimes they're synonymous. You get all kinds of different answers. Um, Israel being redeemed and the nations worshiping with the one true God along with them, I think is a pretty good answer. But that's not an image I had growing up. When I was growing up, I kind of assumed the kingdom would have no borders or countries. It would just be um, you die and you get judged and you wake up and it's maybe new heaven and new earth. Everyone's enjoying bliss and uh, the company of the creator. Um, of course, I thought the nation of Israel right now had significance. It seemed to indicate that the end times were here, right? A sort of prophecy coming to fulfillment, but that was about it. I didn't really see uh, 
a situation where an is, a nation of Israel was necessary in the kingdom because, well, at that time, I thought the church itself was the new apple of God's eye and the center of God's attention. I'm just not sure that's biblically correct. Because the imagery of Israel and the nations in a future kingdom is consistent not only here in um, the Song of Moshe, but all through the prophets. It's undeniable that that's the picture that it paints. We'll get to one of those in a little bit. But I think that... um, I think that viewpoint's also consistent in New Testament thought as well. We're going to go back to Romans here, um, except we're going to go to Romans chapter 15 to get another picture of what Rav Shaul or Paul thought about the kingdom. And it has the Song of Moshe tie-in to it as well, so it all kind of just fit. It was coming together for me. Romans 15... I guess uh, it's page 1419 in the complete Jewish Bible, but if we have a different version, it's just Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to begin in verse 7. Romans 15, 7 begins like this. Verse 7, so welcome each other just as the Messiah has welcomed you into God's glory. For I say that the Messiah has become a servant of the Jewish people in order to show them God's truthfulness by making good his promises to the patriarchs and in order to show his mercy by causing the Gentiles to glorify God as it is written in the Tanakh. Because of this, I will acknowledge you among the Gentiles and sing praise to your name. And again, it says, here's the song of Moshe tie-in, Gentiles rejoice with his people. Uh, And again, praise Adonai, all Gentiles, let all peoples praise him. And again, Yeshiahu, it's Isaiah, says the root of Yeshai will come, he who arises to rule Gentiles, Gentiles will put their hope in him. Continues, verse 13. May God, the source of hope, fill you completely with joy and shalom, that's peace, as you continue trusting so that the power, by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, you may overflow with hope. Now I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you are all full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and well able to counsel each other. But on some points, I have written you quite boldly by way of reminding you about them, because the grace of God has given me to be a servant of the Messiah, Yeshua, for the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of presenting the good news of God so that the Gentiles may be an acceptable offering made holy by the Holy Spirit. In union with Messiah Yeshua, then, I have reason to be proud of my service to God, for I dare not speak of anything except what the Messiah has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience by my words and deeds, through the power of signs and miracles, and through the Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God. Um, So from Yerushalayim all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaim the good news of Messiah. I have always made it known. Uh, I have always made it my ambition to proclaim the good news where Messiah was not yet known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundations. It's very clear he's going out to the nations and it's pretty clear he's not staying within the land. I know we all know this. Just making it a point. You'll see why in a minute. Rather, um, as the Tanakh puts it, those who have not 
been told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Now, this here is a quote from another passage in Isaiah. Now, of course, when a a verse is quoted, the writer is going to assume that the reader is going to be familiar with the passage. They memorized much greater portions of Scripture than we do. We have, ever since the printing press, relied on um, books to uh, um, augment that you know, need to um, memorize things, but they would that's supposed to uh, recall that whole passage. So I think it's helpful to kind of go back and read through that where this um, verse from 21 is quoted from. I think this will give us another a clear picture of what the kingdom, what Paul thinks the kingdom looks like because he keeps quoting Isaiah. So let's go back to chapter Isaiah 52. Isaiah, 50, Isaiah 53, we all know very well. Isaiah 52 probably as well. Page 522, no, 520. That is actually from verse 50, chapter 52, 15 is where the quote is from, but I'd like to back up a little bit because um, this is the, as all prophecies go, they start out with that pattern of uh, the people are blessed, then there's rebellion, then there's punishment, and then it concludes with restoration. This is the restoration segment of one of the prophecies here. So this is all good news happening, right? And chapter 52. Maybe we'll start at verse 7. It says, How beautiful the mountain, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, proclaiming peace, shalom, bringing good news of good things, announcing salvation, and saying to Sion, Your God is king. Listen, your watchmen are raising their voices, shouting for joy together, for they will see before their own eyes Adonai returning to Sion. So this is obviously. Uh, future yet. This is unfulfilled prophecy. Break out into joy. Sing together, you ruins of Yerushalayim, for Adonai has comforted his people. He's redeemed Yerushalayim. Adonai has uh, bared his holy arm in the sight of every nation, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So at this point, Jerusalem's been restored, Israel's been restored, and all the nations are seeing this and uh, they're seeing the salvation, of course. Leave, leave, get out of here. Don't touch anything unclean. Get out from inside it and be clean. You who carry Adonai's temple equipment, you need not live in haste. You do not have to flee, for Adonai will go ahead of you, and the God of Israel will also be behind you. See how my servant will succeed. He will be raised up exalted and highly honored, just as many were appalled at him because he was so disfigured that he didn't even seem human and simply uh, no longer looked like a man. So now he will startle many nations because of him. Kings will be speechless, for they will see what they had not been told, and they will ponder things they had never heard. So a couple takeaways from that. It seems that the nations are alive and well in the kingdom era when Yeshua is uh, ruling from Jerusalem and the nations will be seeing things and uh, pondering things that they had never seen or thought of before. A lot of revelation is going to be happening. And this is consistent with all the other prophets and many of the prophecies within those prophets. And so this is Paul's kingdom worldview. So in Paul's mind, he is doing kingdom work 
by helping to see these other nations see things they had not seen and telling them things that, you know, just he's trying to bring revelation out there. So what does this mean for the average person right here? Because when I kind of start to lay this out, people begin to ask me questions like, well, what do you, so where do I end up in this whole thing in the nations? And I'll tell you, I guess, what makes most sense to me. I'm not a prophet, but it seems to make sense to me that when the Lord returns to establish his kingdom, that there will be a time when um, Yeshua goes to Israel and reveals himself to his people, much like Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. They were shocked and stunned. Um, Yeshua will reveal himself to his Jewish brothers and sisters. The nations will see all of this in amazement, and there'll be a process of Torah learning, divine revelation, and practical application of such. In general, that's how I see it. The good news is that the kingdom encompasses the entire world, but still, everyone wants to be in the land, right? That's sort of like the uh, golden ticket. Well, how do I get into Israel? I get that asked a lot. So in my head, I see, of course, the Jewish people being fully restored to the land, um, and serving as priests as they were originally intended, but there's also room for others as well. If you flip over a few pages to Isaiah 56, it begins like this. Here's what Adonai says. This is easy stuff here. Observe justice, do what is right, for my salvation is close to coming, my righteousness to being revealed. Happy is the person who does this, anyone who grasps it firmly, who keeps the Shabbat and does not profane it, and keeps himself from doing any evil. A foreigner, a foreigner joining Adonai should not say, Adonai will separate me from his people. Likewise, the eunuch should not say, I am only a dried up tree, for here is what Adonai says. As for the eunuchs who keep my Shabbats, who choose uh, what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant in my house, within my walls, I will give them the power or I will give them power and a name greater than sons and daughters, and I will, give them, I will give him an everlasting name that will not be cut off, and the foreigners who join themselves to Adonai to serve him, to love the name of Adonai, and to be his workers, all who keep the Shabbat, and do not profane it, and holds fast to the covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Certainly seems like uh, the foreigners who join themselves will be, uh, join themselves to the covenant, you know, you just read it, they'll be accepted on the mountain and in the temple. Now, if you read a lot of the commentary from the sages on this, most of them will say that these are foreigners who have converted and so and the eunuchs have all converted that's why they're allowed in the temple but as uh, Lancaster would say then the house would be called a house of prayer for one people not a house of prayer for all peoples how do you get around that there's some interesting commentary on that um, from their commentary called voice of the prophets and in it, on this verse, they say that the Lord rewards the non-Jew who voluntarily takes on the covenant of Torah and the observance of Sabbath. 
He gives that Gentile a status along with his people Israel, promising that in the Messianic era to come, the Gentile will even receive access into the temple and share in the temple services. As a result, the temple would be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then they go on for some commentary on the next verse, chapter 8. Chapter 8 is something that, until I read this, I kind of always just read through it quickly and never thought about it. Adonai Elohim says, He who gathers Israel's exiles, there are yet others I will gather besides those gathered already. Got to kind of read that a couple of times and wrap your head around this because there's a lot of gathering going on there. So there's an in-gathering, and then there's another gathering. There's yet others. They say that the Lord will gather up these Gentiles. This is the commentary here from Lancaster. That the Lord will gather up um, Gentiles along with his people, Israel, at the time of redemption. They will, be, they will be taken up with the rest of Israel when the Messiah comes to gather his chosen. The Almighty will bring them to his holy mountain in Jerusalem and make them glad inside the temple. Um, so when in verse 8 there is a gathering when he gathers Israel, right? All the exiled exiled uh, people come in, and then there's yet others that get gathered. The foreigners that keep the Shabbat and hold fast to his covenant, they get gathered along as well. So I guess in summary, the kingdom you could think of, subject to correction here, but just in my head, this is what I see throughout all the prophets and consistent with what I read in the New Testament, is that the kingdom, of course, is comprised of Israel and the nations and a global kingdom of sorts, but Israel is comprised, of course, largely like it is now. It's a country in the Middle East with Jews in it. And when Yeshua comes back, he's going to gather certainly the saints who are lost, right, um, are, go up to meet him in the clouds, and those who have bound themselves to the covenant. You know, I see that'd be people in this room listening online, people trying to tap into Shabbat and bind themselves to the covenant and the people, I would think that they could anticipate this ingathering and this bringing us to the Holy Land and in the kingdom era. So this, this thought I've had that I've been talking about just for only like the last 20 minutes about the kingdom is something I've been thinking about a lot for the last couple years. And uh, I know... If, um, many of the Messianic Jewish organizations have been doing a lot of work on that just because it's always difficult to anticipate something in the future, especially something uh, on the other side of the second coming. Generally, we like to, uh, I try to pound ethics a lot and blessing. I generally stay away from prophetic stuff and end time stuff just because it's all so subjective. But I get asked about it so much that this upcoming year, 5783, um, I'm going to try to change things up a little bit, look more future-minded, if you will. And so this, I will use this as a rough outline to try to dive into that a little more with the help of great commentaries like Voice of the Prophets. I highly recommend that. I will leave you with this blessing. May we be ever vigilant to hold fast to his Shabbat and his covenant, and may we pray for a renewing of the mind and for the spirit to renew us 
And may we rejoice in that day when the kingdom is reestablished and we are able to go to his holy mountain. May that be soon and in our days. Shabbat shalom.